Hey, this is Byron, and I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption Church. Thanks for listening to our weekly sermon podcast. I hope this message blesses you, encourages you, and helps you experience life change through Jesus. For more sermons like this, blogs, resources, or opportunities to get connected, visit us at www.redemptiontx.com. Redemption Church exists to see a gospel-centered movement in the heart of the city where every man, woman, and child experiences life change through Jesus. That's who we are. That's why we exist. That's why we are here. What I just quoted to you is our vision statement. That is who Redemption Church is, a gospel-centered movement in the heart of the city where every man, woman, and child can experience life life changed through Jesus. And that's not just something we crafted because we thought it sounded clever or cool or would look really great on the side of the wall in the lobby. No, every single one of those words has a significant, important theological meaning to us as a church. So um, Redemption Church, that's us. We exist. Welcome. We love you. Glad you're here. We're all here. Redemption Church exists to see a gospel-centered movement, gospel-centered, that everything we do would be focused on and centered upon the person and work of Jesus, his life, his death in our place for our sins so that way we can be with him, gospel-centered, and then it's a movement that it doesn't just stop with us, but it starts with us, and then we take the good news of the gospel, and then we share it with anyone and everyone because we want as many people as possible to meet Jesus, a gospel-centered movement in the heart of the city. Because if you're going to reach people, you got to be where people are at. For every man, woman, and child. Why? So they can experience life change through Jesus. And today's a really special day because today I get to preach a sermon and cast vision to something that is very important, but oftentimes is neglected or forgotten in the church. Last week we talked about every man and woman and the meaning of marriage. Today we're going to talk about children. Today we're going to cast vision towards and we're going to talk about the importance of children when it comes to experiencing life change through Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 13. We're going to work our way all the way through verse 16. We're going to do three verses. I got three points and something that's very important for us to understand. That life change also happens for children. So you ready? My sermon title today is this. Jesus loves the little children. This is actually my daughter Esther's son, her favorite song. Jesus loves little children. The other day, I was driving her to Mother's Day out and on the way there, she, she said, Daddy, let's sing a song. I said, OK, baby, what do you want to sing? She said, Jesus loves the little children. I said, all right, let's do it. Jesus loves the little children. She said, no, 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 Daddy, you can't sing. <laughs> I said, yeah, you're right. Maybe I can't sing, but I can preach. And so that's what I'm going to do. Mark 10, three, uh, verse 13, three verses, three points. If we want our children to experience life change through Jesus, we got to do three things. We need to love them. We need to lead them. And then we also need to learn from them. So we're continuing our study through the simple gospel, Mark 10, three through thir- or 13 through 16. Here we go. 
people were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, if anyone will not receive the kingdom of God like a child, they will never enter into it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and he blessed them. This story is found in all three of the synoptic gospels. Okay, it's found in Matthew chapter 19, Luke chapter 18, and here we see in Mark chapter 10, we see Jesus loves the little children. Now, you need to understand something. God is a father. That the number one way that God has revealed himself through the Bible is that God is a father. Right? For those of you who are parents, how many times do you have to tell your kids something? A lot, right? You can't just be like, oh, I told them once, glad that's over, never have to tell them again. No, no, no. You're going to have to tell them a lot over and over and over again. I want you to know that God is a father and that this word is God's word. This is God's way of talking to us, that God speaks to us through his word. And so just like any father, he's got to tell his kids multiple times what's important. So whenever you read something in the Bible and you see it one time, that's really important. If you read it two times, it's really important. If you read it three times, it's very important. You weren't paying attention the first time, and so God's going to repeat himself another time, and he wants you to know this is very important. And here's the big idea. If children are important to God, that means that they should be important to us. Three times God tells you, hey, kids are important to me, so they should be important to you. This is the reason that we have child in the vision statement for our church, that life change is available for men. The gospel is not just for men. The church is not just for men. The least likely person to attend church in America is a man between the ages of 22 and 35 years old. We want to reach the men. We need to reach the men. If we want to see the church continue to grow, we need good, godly men who are going to step up and be leaders in the church. The gospel is for men, but it's not just for men. The gospel is also for women. The church is for women. That 68% of the church in America is made up of women. We're glad that the ladies love Jesus. The, the most likely person to attend church is a woman, but the gospel is not just for women. The church is not just for women. It is for everyone. It's not just for youth or young adults. It's not just for retirees or senior citizens. It's not just for Republicans or Democrats. It's not just for rich or poor. It is for everyone. And when we say everyone, we also need to include the children that the church is for the children, that the gospel is for children. What God wants you to know is if children are important to Jesus, then children should also be important to us. That's why we include child in the vision statement of our church. Now, just being honest, when we started this church, children were not a part of the vision of redemption. When me and Ashley got ready to start to plant Redemption Church, we didn't have any kids. And we didn't really think that much about children. How many of you are here from back in the gig days, way back when, when we were down on Crockett Street? Do you remember that? Like our entire church could fit in Bo Michael King's, uh, you know, old town apartments. It wasn't a really kid-friendly church. I'm surprised that people actually brought their kids to our church. To be honest, it was a miracle every single week that a child did not get injured or 
were lost. I don't know how we were able to keep our doors open. Praise the Lord for you parents who had enough faith to believe that God would heal your children after Children's Church. Praise the Lord for you. We didn't really have a big vision for Children's Church. I mean, our church was meeting in a bar, okay? We were in Crocker Street. We met in a bar. It was dank. It was dark. It was purple everywhere. The the lights were off, and the stage was filled with candles. I mean, it looked like a goth convention met Jesus and were worshiping. That was church. There was tequila bottles and naked women on the wall, like seriously. (laughs) And then every Sunday, we'd get up, and we'd have church. And then we'd have our kids upstairs in another bar called Dixie Daycare. And it wasn't called Dixie Daycare because they actually were a daycare. It's because they had a reputation for not checking IDs on ladies' night. So, and that's where we had our kids' church. And we'd walk in on a, on a Sunday morning, and the floor would be sticky. And we're like, why is it sticky? I don't know what they did last night, but the floor is sticky. And it would smell, and there'd be jello shots left over from the night before. I mean, our children's ministry was basically held together with prayer, duct tape, and Lysol. Like, that was it. <laughs> And so, you know, we, we'd pray, and we'd pray, and if prayer couldn't get the sin out, Lysol would. That's all we had. <laughs> and for the, first, for the first year of our church, we probably had like five kids in Redemption Kids. Like, that was it, five kids. And I thought, we need to do something about this. So what we decided to do is we started recruiting families and young families to come to our church. I remember I was talking with one young family, and I was like, hey, we would love for you to come and be a part of Redemption. We need people like you to get behind the vision and the mission. They said, you know, Byron, I love everything about Redemption Church. I love the music, the worship, the people. I love the theology. I love your mission, vision. I love the preaching. I love everything about it. The only thing is, is you don't have a ministry for my children, is I want to be able to bring my kids to church, and I don't really want to bring my kids to church in a bar, and I don't really feel like it's safe, and there's not a lot of stuff there for my kids. Because at that stage in the game, we really didn't think that children's ministry was that important for us. But I remember thinking about this story that we're going to study today, and I I remember thinking that if children are important to Jesus, that means that children should be important to us. So then we started dreaming and praying and believing, and we started working towards recasting a new vision, every man, woman, and child. So we actually hired our first staff hire, which was J.C. Selman. She came on the team. She started working. She started uh, putting more investments into our children's ministry. We started raising up new leaders and other deacons like Sarah Emily Cologne. We invested in the top of the line children's curriculum for our children's ministry. We have a Parent Cube Bible app for parents to take home, download on their phone to where they can start doing Bible studies for their kids. They can follow up with the lesson at home to do memory verses. We started having events and training and planning. And when we moved out of the bar into this old warehouse, we dumped a significant amount of resources into our children's ministry because we knew that children were important to Jesus, which means that they should be important to us. One third of our Heart for the House offering is going towards the 2020 budget for our children's ministry. We believe in what God is doing in the lives of the children in our church. We want to support them. We want to bless them. We want them to know that they are important to us because they are important to Jesus. 
And I'm really excited to tell you that when we started the church, we had five, and just last Sunday, we had 55 kiddos in the back, loving Jesus, making friends, being creative, and having fun. I love to see the children in our church. I mean, one of my favorite things to do is to stand in the lobby between services and just seeing the kids run up and down the lobby, and they're just screaming, and they're having fun, and they're running in circles, and they're jumping on my back, and they're hugging, and they're bringing their dads across the lobby, and they're saying, Daddy, can we come back to church next week? And they got donuts on their face, and they got lollipops in their hands, and they love church. That's one of the best things and the favorite things about my job is to see your kids get to experience life change through Jesus to see children experience life change through Jesus. You know, kids, they don't know how to articulate life change. They just don't. Kids know, this was fun and I want to come back. Like, that's all kids know. Kids don't understand the presence of God. Kids don't understand the eschatological significance of the showbread in the intertestamental period. Kids don't understand the ontological subordinationism within the Trinity. Kids can't explain to you justification by grace alone through faith alone for their salvation and the glorification of the resurrected bodies. Kids don't understand that. You know what kids know? I liked it and I want to come back. That's what kids know, and that's how they say, Daddy, Mom, I'm experiencing life change through Jesus because they drag you here every single week. That's what we want for our kids. And so what we're going to see today is a famous and beloved Bible story about kids experiencing life change through Jesus. And God wants you to know that he is a father and that he loves us with the love and the affection that a father has for us, which means that... Children are important. And if children are important to God and children are important to Jesus, then children should also be important to us. And so what I want to do is I want to give you three ways for children to experience life change. The first way is this. The church needs to love kids. Mark chapter 10, verse 13, here's what it says. It says that the people were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. Then Jesus saw this, and he was indignant. He said to them, let the children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Here we see a very large crowd coming to listen to Jesus preach and teach. He is in Judea. He's in his Judean ministry period. He's about six months from the cross. His Galilean ministry is over. He is journeying towards Jerusalem. He is in this highly populated Jewish region of the the, the center of the city, and people are just flocking from everywhere to come and to see Jesus. And Jesus is doing what Jesus always does when there's a large crowd. Jesus, he preaches. Jesus was a preacher. He's teaching. He's, He's giving them a lesson. He is delivering a sermon. And in the middle of Jesus' sermon, all of a sudden, there is an interruption. And guess what the interruption is? It's the kids. How many of you know kids are an interruption? Amen? Right? Kids are an interruption. They interrupt you all of the time. Right? Kids, they have no concept of what is important. Right To them, everything is the biggest deal in the world. Everything is the end of the world. Everything for your child is a crisis. It is an emergency. They have no concept of time, and they want what they want, when they want it, and they want it now. Like That's that's the way that a kid thinks. They want it now. It is an interruption. 
So the other day, I was in the living room, and I had just kind of gotten home from work, and I was on my phone doing something really important, really busy, checking Instagram for the 38th time for the day, you know, important things. And then my daughter comes up to me, and she says, Daddy. And I said, Baby, not now. I'm busy. Daddy, no, no, no. I'm busy. Hold on. Give me a sec. Give me a sec. Give me a sec. Daddy, Daddy, no. Give me a sec. Give me a sec. And here's what she said. She said, Daddy, put down your phone now. <laughs> Excuse me? How many of you have ever had your children tell you to put down your phone? Nothing more convicting in the world than to have your child say, put down your phone now. And I was like, okay, yes, ma'am. And put it in my phone. She wanted it now, right? That's the way kids think. Whatever's important to you, no, 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 no. It's them, right? Now. It's an interruption. It's an inconvenience. Okay, that's exactly the way that I see this story happening. So Jesus, he's in the middle of his sermon, and he's preaching. And then all of a sudden, here comes the kids. The kids, they bum rush Jesus. And they're running, and they're interrupting his message. And they're climbing on him. And they're pulling on him and tugging on his beard. And they're, you know, they're screaming. And they got the wiggles and the giggles. And a baby starts crying in the back. And it's this big commotion. It's this really big interruption. What do you think the disciples are going to do? Right? The disciples, remember, they've been with Jesus longer than anyone else. We, we meet him in Mark chapter 1. Jesus calls them, and they begin following him. They're the 12 hand-selected chosen disciples that are going to continue the mission of God. They spend more time with Jesus than anyone else. They've been with him longer than anyone else. We're in Mark chapter 10, three years into Jesus' life and ministry, 40-plus sermons in the Simple Gospel series. What do you think the disciples are going to do? Right, here's what the disciples do. Somebody needs to come control their kids. Who brings their kids to church? Somebody needs to take care of these. These kids are bad. Somebody come get their kids. These kids are crazy, right? This is worse than Target. These moms, these dads, they need to come get their kids. They need to control their kids, right? It's probably because they didn't watch too much TV. Right, this is what happens when you give them too many chicken nuggets. You got these crazy kids over here, probably spent too much time on their iPad, you know, watching Ryan's toy review. That's why they ain't got no manners. That nobody taught these kids. We need to do better with these kids. Get these kids out of here. These kids are crazy. These kids are driving me crazy. Shh. Jesus is busy. Don't you know who he is? This is Jesus. He is the Messiah. He is the very God of very God. He don't have time for kids. He's too busy for kids. We are the disciples, okay? Have you ever heard of us? We're pretty big deals. We're the disciples. We're really busy. We're very important. We have a whole big day planned. We ain't got time for all these kids. That's what the disciples do. It even says here that they rebuke them. Imagine a grown man rebuking a child. <laughs> Shh. That's the disciples' response. What do you think Jesus is going to do when he sees this? Hey, Jesus actually responds. Here's what he says. Look down at your Bibles in verse 14. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Now, there's a word in there that we don't really use very often in the English language. It's indignant. 
Okay, some of you, you don't know what that means. That's okay. I'm going to explain to you what the word indignant means. Indignant is the theological term for freakouts. <laughs> indignant. Right, Jesus, he freaked out. Now, when you read this, I want you to know that you cannot get indignant. No, 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 no. You don't get indignant. You don't freak out. No. <laughs> When you get indignant, you get indignant. When you freak out, parents, freak out, right? So when you read this, I need you to read it probably the way that it actually went. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant, and he said to them, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder the little children from coming to me, because to such as these belongs the kingdom of God. He lost his mind on the disciples. Big crowd, lots of people around, and then he just loses his cool. He just starts yelling at the disciples. Who do you think you are stopping little kids from coming to me? Who do you think you are preventing the kids from coming to me? Do not hinder the kids from coming to me. Jesus freaks out. Okay, you, you, some of you are like, really? Jesus would do that? I don't picture Jesus losing his cool. I don't think Jesus would ever raise his voice. Not my Jesus. Jesus would never do something like that. Well, apparently Jesus, he gets indignant. There's like an anger in Jesus. You want to do something to get on Jesus' bad side? Treat kids like they're not important. You want to do something to make Jesus mad? You want to make Jesus mad? Be too busy for kids. Treat kids like they're not important. Treat kids like they're... Keep kids from coming to him. Apparently, that's the way to get on Jesus' bad side. And so Jesus, he freaks out on the disciples. Why? Because he loved the kids. I want you to notice something. Right? Jesus, he wasn't too busy for the kids. Right, kids run up to him, he welcomes them. Hey, come on, let's, let's hang out. Let's spend some time together. Let's, let's play together. That's, that's Jesus. The disciples were too busy for the kids. The disciples were too important for the kids. The disciples thought what they were doing was more important than spending time with the kids. They were like, we have a whole big lesson plan laid out. We have an order of service and a liturgy that's really important to us. I mean, Thomas, he'd been working all week on the order of service. We've got three songs up front. Then we're going to do a little offering. We're going to preach a sermon. We're going to have an altar call. Maybe, you know, people are going to get healed, might get a miracle. Who knows? We might cast out some demons. We've got a really big day lined up. This is, this is our service, and all you kids come running in a church and you're ruining it for everybody. See, they thought they were too busy for kids and Jesus, he wasn't. Which really goes to show us this. When we are too busy for kids, we are too busy for God. When we are too busy for kids, we are too busy for God. Now, I'm going to let you know, this is very convicting for me as a parent because I'm busy. Right? I'm really busy. Like my whole day, my week, my life Busy. Up in the morning, phone calls, emails, bills, people, meetings, counseling, hurry, hustle, worry, bustle, busy, busy, busy. I'm also in college, so I got to write term papers. I have one due tonight. I got to go home and write that. Meanwhile, I'm managing relationships and staff, writing, sermon, preaching, preparing, counseling. We're busy. Whatever your job is, I'm pretty sure you're busy. Whatever your life is, I'm pretty sure you're busy because we're all living in the 21st century and we're all running and we're all exhausted and we're all tired and we're all stressed and everybody is busy. 
And I think that one of the lies that I've convinced myself is this. The reason I'm so busy is because I love my girls so much. And I spend so much time doing things for them that I don't actually really get to spend a lot of time with them. And I think we've convinced ourselves that the more busy we are, the more we're loving our kids. But what we see here is when we're too busy for kids, we're really too busy for God. Because if you're that busy that you don't actually get to spend time with your kids, God never intended for your life to be filled with that so much stuff. That your calendar and your schedule is overcrowding what is most important to you. When you're too busy for kids, what Jesus shows us is we're too busy for him. Now, as a parent, this is deeply convicting, but I want you parents to know, this is not a parenting sermon. Okay, so all the parents in the room, take a deep breath, let it out. Okay, it's not a parenting sermon. So I'm not going to talk to you about the importance of quality time, quantity time. We're not going to talk about screen time. Okay, parents, we're, we're not going to discuss, you know, homeschool, public school, private school, Montessori school. We're not talking about whether milk is good or bad for your kids, because nobody knows that. <laughs> but this is showing us that children are important. The most precious thing we have is the kids that God has entrusted us with. So what I want to do is I want to just cast a little vision for kids in our church. So for those of you who are hearing this and you're like, I'm single, this has nothing to do with me. Like, oh, parents, of course parents love their kids. No, no, the church should love kids in general. So for those of you who are single and you're hearing this and you're like, I don't have any kids, this doesn't apply to me. Okay, I want you to know that the children are just as important in this church as you are. Okay, so for those of you who are single and you don't have kids, when you're in the lobby and you see all the kids running around like crazy, do you think, oh, those kids are a part of my church? They're important here. Do you, do you think about that? Do you consider the children who are in our church? Right, so do you pray for the kids in our church? Do you think about that when you tithe and when you give, how your finances are impacting the life of the children who come to redemption? Do, do you spend time with them whenever they're running around the lobby? And you know, do you get down on eye level and say, hey, it's so good to see you? Do you, do you show care for the kids who are in our, our church? You say, but they're not my kids. Okay, well, you're, this is your church, so therefore, they're, they're with us. Right? They're a part of our, our body. For those of you who are single, I want you to consider the care that we give to the children. See, Jesus, he was single, and yet he still loved kids. Jesus, he didn't have kids. And you know what he did? He still loved kids. I mean, I, we have kids who come into the big church, which I love it when kids come into big church. When they come in and they sit and they sit under God's word and they get to sit alongside with their parents and the parents pinch them a little bit when they're falling asleep. I love it. And whenever a baby's in the room and people, a baby starts crying or making noise, people are like, somebody needs to get their baby, right? That does not bother me at all. Right? I have two screaming daughters at home. Okay? I just learned to talk over it and to ignore it. And so I love it when kids are injured. People are like, doesn't that kid bother you? No, the kid doesn't bother me. You know why? Because whenever we have children in the church, that means we have life. That means we have life in our church. I would rather have a church with a crying baby than have a church with no babies at all because there's life in the church whenever the children are in the church. So for those of you who are single, without kids, I want you to consider that every child in our church is life in our church. But inevitably, I always get pushed back whenever I say this, most of the time from the men, especially young single men. OK, 
Okay, so if you're a young, single man without children, you would probably be like, oh, children just aren't my thing. Just not into kids. I'm not really, I don't really like kids. Kids, ugh, I don't really like kids. Right? Oh, and then a lot of times people think that children are the woman's job. They're like, oh, that's for the women. I'm a man. No, 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 don't do that. Just so you know, okay, just so you know, dads don't babysit. That's called parenting, just so you know. You're like, that's a woman. No, 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 no. Think about it. Jesus was a man. He was a man. Jesus was the manliest man who ever walked the face of the planet. You're not going to find someone more manly than Jesus. Just think about Jesus. I mean, Jesus, he was crucified on a Roman cross. He died the most painful, brutal, horrendous death known in the history of mankind. That he was arrested, betrayed, he was mocked, whipped, scourged where the skin was hanging off the back of his back. They ripped his beard out with their hands. They took a crown of thorns, they drilled it into his skull, they stretched his arms out of the sockets, nailed nine-inch railroad spikes to the most painful centers of the human body. They lifted him up naked in front of everybody. Jesus breathed his last breath as he died on that cross, and then they took a spear, shoved it through his side, took his body out, laid it in a lifeless, cold, dark tomb, and then three days later, he got back up. You're not going to do that. Jesus is manly. I mean, Jesus defeated Satan. It's pretty manly. I mean, Jesus chopped the head off of the dragon and threw him into the lake of fire. That's manly. Jesus is a warrior. Jesus is coming back with a tattoo down his legs and a robe dipped in blood that says King of Kings and Lord of Lords with fire in his eyes and a sword in his mouth. Manly. Jesus is the King of Kings and Jesus is the Lord of Lords. He conquers Satan, sin, hell, death, and the grave. Jesus is manly. And you know what? He hangs out with kids. You're not going to find anyone more manly than Jesus. And he hangs out with kids. So for those of you who are young single men, let me tell you this. I did it in a Proverbs series. I'm going to do it again. The best place for young men who aspire to be men, to aspire to be fathers, and to aspire to be husbands, the best place for you to serve is in Redemption Kids. Okay, let me give you a couple of reasons why. Right, the first reason is that 40% of children are going to go to bed tonight without a father in the home. So for you, you could actually be a positive male influence, a mentor, and a role model in these kids' lives. That could be you. The second is you get to practice on other people's kids. <laughs> so at the end of the day, you could just send them home. Job well done. And the third reason is this, because the majority of those who do volunteer in Redemption Kids are young, single, college-aged women. And so for you, you're looking to meet one of those. You're like, I, I would like to... I would like to meet one of those. You know where you would meet one? Serving in Redemption Kids. Okay, just imagine this, right? Let's say you're serving in the nursery and you're sitting there and you're Indian style on the floor and you got a Bible open and you got a little rug rat crawling in your lap drooling on you and you're reading the Bible to them and there's that other young sweet girl. She's in there and she says, hey, Jesus loves the little children and hey, that guy really likes children too. Oh, and then she catches your eye and you catch her eye and you'll have this little moment. <laughs> And then you see her, and then you're like, hey, do you like this? 
you know, me and you, we can make one of these. <laughs> Let's go to premarital with Pastor Byron and we can set this up right now. I'm just saying. Hey, if that don't get you a date, you ain't got no bait on your hook. I cannot help you. <laughs> children are important to Jesus, which means children should be important to us. Hey, you know, there's a thing called the 1040 window. Do you know what that is? That is the latitude and longitude of the least reached people groups in the world. Most of the missionaries that we send and support as a church, we send to the 1040 window because we want to we wanna be able to reach them. But there's another thing called the 414 window. And this is the most likely age for a person to accept Christ between the ages of four and 14. Some 60% of American Christians today actually had their first life change through Jesus encounter between the ages of four and 14. What that means to show us is this, is that the single greatest mission field in our church is in the back. And so oftentimes we focus on preaching and teaching and worship and service and just dropping the kids off, we forget we're supposed to reach the kids. The single most important mission field in our church is the kids who are in our church. The mission field is in the back. The mission field is running around the lobby with donut glaze on their face. The mission field is at your bedtime, at the night-night time. The mission field is you bringing them here. The mission field is the kids who are in our church. See, listen to me. Children are more than just the next generation. That's what we see all the time. They're the next generation, the next generation, the next generation, but we cannot wait to reach them. Children are not just the next generation, they are the now generation. That we have to reach them now. We have to love them now. We need to teach them now. We need to spend time with them now. We can't wait until we're less busy. We can't wait until it fits our calendar. We can't wait till it's convenient for us. We have to reach them now. Just like Esther's son says, Daddy, now. Imagine that is your child saying, My soul matters now. My salvation matters now. My future matters now. I matter now. Kids are not just the next generation. They are the now generation. We got to reach them now. They were important to Jesus, which means they should also be important to us, which leads to the next thing. If the church is to love the kids, that means that parents are to lead their kids. The church is supposed to love kids But it's the parents who are supposed to lead the kids. Here's what it says in verse 13. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. Parents, as a church, we're going to do everything that we possibly can to love your kids. But I need you to do something for me. I need for you to lead your kids. The most important thing that you will ever do in your life is to lead your kids to Jesus. More important than them getting into the best college, more important than them making the all-star team, more important than them playing select soccer, more important than them having a roundhouse kick in taekwondo, more important than them having a contra choke in jujitsu, more important than the grades that they make, more important than anything they will ever do. The most important thing that you will ever do for your kids is to lead your kids to Jesus. The church, we can love them, but as a parent, it's 
it's your job to lead them. If you want your kids to experience life change through Jesus, it's your job to lead them. Listen, the Redemption Kids is great, but it's only supplemental to the discipleship that you provide to them at home. I mean, we only get your kids for 90 minutes on a Sunday, depending on how long my sermon is. And Miss JC's probably spending the first hour trying to get your kids to calm down. You know, that's, that's, but you know what? We get them for 90 minutes. You have them for 168 hours a week. How are you investing that time into the life of your kids? You have your kids for 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year for 17, 18, 19, 20 years. How are you making the most of the time that you have with them? How are you investing in them, leading them, guiding them, giving them wisdom or instruction, praying over them, blessing them, encouraging them? Parents, it's your job to lead your children to Jesus. That's the same thing that we see in the text happening here. It says people were bringing the little kids. In the Greek, that word people is a masculine term, which actually would represent the fathers. See, I think sometimes we think, oh, it's the ladies who bring the the children to Jesus. It's the women who bring the kids to the church. It's their job. No, no, no. We see that there is a pattern and a precedent in the scriptures that men are to be active and involved, emotionally available, and the spiritual leaders of their home that you are to be bringing your children to Jesus, that you are to be leading your children to Jesus so that he can love them, he can touch them, he can bless them, that he can pick them up and he can change their life forever. The church, we can love them, but parents, it's your job to lead them. Okay, we have this understanding, right, where it says uh, it takes a village to raise a child. You ever heard that? You ever heard that? Okay, it makes for a really good bumper sticker, but that's not necessarily biblical parenting. Right? You can't just trust for other people to raise your children for you. And I think that's why some parents have lost the right to speak into their children's lives because they've abdicated their roles and responsibilities to professionals. And so people think, well, it's the church's job to lead my kids to Jesus. Oh, it's the coach's job to instill character and values in my children. Oh, it's the teacher's job to educate them. I just drop them off and I don't have to worry about that anymore. And then when they get bad grades, it's the teacher's fault. No, 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 no. You're the primary educator in your child's life. You're, you're the primary character instiller in your child's life. Like that, that's, that's you. That's your role as a parent. And you can't trust professionals to do your job. You can't abdicate your role and responsibility. God has placed your child in your life, in your home, and in your care because he wants for you to lead them. Parents are primary when it comes to leading children. Redemption kids, supplementary. Right. I mean, when it comes to coaching, taekwondo, ballet, school, education, whatever it is, that is only supplemental to what you provide for them at the home. Parents, you are primary. Do not abdicate your role and responsibility to someone else to do what God has called you to do. The church, we can love your kids, but as a parent, it's your job to lead them. So here, here's what I want to do. Right. I want for you to begin thinking of your job as a parent very similar to my job as a pastor, right? So whenever you come to church, Redemption Church, right? I'm, I'm the pastor here, okay? And so think about when you come here, like I get to preach and I'm the pastor, but when your kid goes home, okay, I want you to think of your home like your church, okay? Every child has a pastor, and it's not me. Here, here's what it is, it's you. Every child has a pastor, and it's called mom or dad. Pastor mom, pastor dad. 
I want you to understand that every parent is a pastor. If you want to lead your kids, you got to lead them to Jesus. So every parent's a pastor. If your kids are little, guess what? You're a children's pastor. If your kid's in middle school, you're a middle school pastor. If your kids are in youth, you're a youth pastor. If your kids are in college, you're a college and career young adult pastor. That's you. (laughs) And as your child grows up, well, you get a promotion. You're moving up the ladder too, because every parent is a pastor. I want you to think of your home like a church and that your role as a parent is actually like a pastor. Now, what would happen if when you came to church, I treated you like the disciples treated these kids? What if when you walked in the door, I just, what are you doing? Get out of here, I'm busy. You're like, I don't want to go back to that church. Those people are rude. What if you came into church and, well, we didn't have any worship and you just kind of sat there awkward, right? And I never preached the Bible. I never opened up the Bible. What, what would happen if that, if, I, if what would happen if I never prayed for you here in the church? Would you ever come back? Would you ever come back? You're like, I'm not going back to that church. Those people are mean. They're heretical. They have nothing to do with the Bible. Like, I don't want, that's not a Christian church. Don't let that church become your home. You're, you're the pastor of your home. And so if you don't open up the Bible and pray and you're not leading your kids, that's your church. That's your home. I want you to understand that every parent a pastor. The question is, are you a good pastor or a bad pastor? Are you leading your kids to Jesus or are you leading your kids from Jesus? But every parent is a pastor nevertheless. And by God's grace, we want to be good pastors, amen? We want to be good pastors for our kids. Because listen, your kids are watching you. Okay, your kids are looking up to you. They're listening to you. They are hanging on every word that you say. Your kids are going to learn how to read the Bible from watching you read the Bible. Your kids are going to learn how to pray by watching you pray. Your kids are going to learn theology by seeing you study theology. Your kids are going to learn how to balance their checkbooks and manage their money and tithe and give and make a spreadsheet and go to Financial Peace Dave Ramsey. They're going to learn all of that from you. They're going to learn how to be a husband and a wife. They're going to learn how to be a parents, a mother, a father, one day a grandparent. They're going to learn all of that. How are they going to learn that? They're going to learn that from watching you. You're the example in their life, and they're watching you. No, seriously, like, this really stuck out to me this week. My daughter, she's three years old. So the other day, we were driving in the car, and she had her iPad, and as we were going down the road, she was really quiet, and then all of a sudden, she goes, oh my God, what the heck? And I turned around and said, oh my God, what the heck? Where'd you learn that? And I was like, oh, yeah, that was me. I taught her that. You know what that goes to show? The words I say matters. The life I live matters. The things that I do matters. She's looking up to me. She is listening to me. She is learning from me. She is like a sponge soaking in everything that I do, which means what my daughter's really saying is, Daddy, I need you to lead me. Parents, it's our job to lead our kids. You want to be a pastor. So I told you this is not a parenting sermon. This is a pastor sermon. So every parent in here, you're actually a pastor right now. So welcome to the pastor's convention at Redemption Church. So here's what we're going to do. I want to give you three ways for you to pastor your child. The first way is to lead them to the Bible. Every single time when you show up on Sunday, what is the, one of the first things that I say? Hey, grab your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Mark or whatever book we're in. That should be your morning routine at home. That should be the way that you end every single day. Hey, grab your Bibles, turn with me. We're going to go ahead and read. 
You need to lead your children to the Bible. Last year, Lifeway Research put out this really big study that shows that over the last 20 years, some 60 to 70% of young adults between the ages of 18 and 25 have left the church that they've left the church, the faith, they've turned their back from Jesus, they've become post-Christian, they're actually what's called the nun generation. That young adults are leaving the church and many times they're actually not coming back. And, and they started wondering, what is it that's causing this? What is it that is the significance behind this? What it, and so they started looking into this and as they begin looking into this, it became really terrifying to me. And I just began to think like, what is, what kind of church am I leaving my daughter? Right? What, what kind of church am I leaving behind? What, what's going to happen? What's going on? Uh, you know, what, what, what's the world going to look like when my daughters are 18, 19, 20 years old? What kind of men are my daughters going to marry? <gasps> Terrifying. And this just really goes to show that many times as parents, we think that just because our kids are in the back, that our kids are actually saved. But that's not necessarily true. Christian parents don't automatically produce Christian kids. You gotta lead them to Jesus. You can't just assume that because your child grew up in the church that your child actually has a profession of faith. You have to lead your kids to Jesus. This is the reason that I, I meet people all the time. And, and you know, they say, well, I'm a Christian. I'm like, okay, well, tell me about it. Tell me about Jesus. What does your life look like? You know, do you pray, read your Bible? Do you go to church? Are you active? Do you serve? Do you give? Are you participating in social justice? Any of those things? Oh, no, I don't do any of those things. Like, did you, like, repent of your sins, make a confession of faith? I mean, are you baptized? Like, do you take Holy Communion? Do you do any? No, I don't do any of those things. So, well, how do you know you're saved? How do you know you're a, a Christian? Oh, well, when I was a kid, I went to church. Like, that's it? They're like, oh, yeah, and my parents were Christians. It's like, well, my papa was a pipe fitter, but that doesn't mean I can weld. <laughs> Like, just because you were raised in the church doesn't mean that you're actually in Christ. Just because you were born into a Christian family doesn't mean you were born again into God's family. See, parents, you can't just automatically assume that because you're a Christian, your children are going to be Christians too. It takes us leading them to Jesus. So with all of these young adults who are leaving the church in droves and everybody's leaving and the church is struggling and this is the culture we live in and Generation Z and all these things and everybody's all frustrated and worried and what's the future of the church going to be look like? And some of you are like, is there anything that we can do? No. I'm kidding, yes! <laughs> there is something we can do. LifeWay Research actually discovered that if parents would do these three things, their children are more likely to stay engaged in the church through college and young adult and even longer into adulthood. The first thing is if parents would lead their kids to the Bible. Parents, this means that you need to get an age-appropriate Bible for every single one of your children. All right, so for me, here's what it means for us. We, we use the Jesus Storybook Bible. So this is what I read to my daughter, Esther. Every single night, I read the Jesus Storybook Bible to her. Right? It's an age-appropriate, relevant way for her to understand. It's got really great illustrations. Uh, we actually read to her. Oh, cool. I just opened it right to the thing we read to her this, this week. We read to her Daniel and the Scary Sleepover. Right? And it's about Daniel and the lion's den. And she laughed and she giggled and she had fun. And the cool thing about the Jesus Storybook Bible is that it actually, every single chapter closes with a gospel illustration to explain the gospel in age-appropriate ways that even my three-year-old is able to understand. 
Parents, you need to read the Bible to your kids. One of the things that we do is we actually have an ESV thin line Bible that we have placed on the dining room table. Whenever we eat together as a, ta- as a family, it's always on the table. It stays there. It never gets up. It never leaves. That's the family Bible, dining room ta- table Bible. Okay, And so because we're busy and we don't have time, it's always there and we have no excuse. It's looking us right in the face. But we try to set that in the center of our home because we want to lead our kids to the Bible. We live in this really fortunate, blessed time to where there is no excuse for your children to not have Bibles. I mean, we, we have Bibles running out of our ears today. Did you know that 500 years ago, you could not read the Bible? Did you know that? Like 500 years ago, if you wanted to read the Bible, you had to be old, you had to be rich, you had to be Catholic, you had to be a priest, and you had to have like a million dollars to get a scroll from some temple. Right? Nobody had Bibles 500 years ago. And then Martin Luther comes along, launches the Protestant Reformation, and one of the driving factors behind his decision is he believed that every house should have a Bible. And so he just started printing and giving Bibles to as many people as possible. And here we are 500 years later, and we have all different types of Bibles and translations of Bibles and versions of Bibles. I mean, we have, you know, Jesus Storybook Bibles and Teen Bibles and Tween Bibles and Preteen Bibles and Apologetics Youth Bibles and Study Bibles. We have comic book Bibles for boys. We have princess Bibles for girls. Heck, I've even seen a waterproof Bible for bath time. Whatever it takes to get your kids to the word, just do it. Just lead them to the Bible. But here's the deal. For parents, you can't lead them somewhere you're not willing to go, which means that if you're going to lead your kids to the Bible, you need to open yours, that you have to show them the word of God, and they have to see it in your life. Because here's what happens. When kids start reading the Bible, they have questions. They're going to ask a lot of questions. And so your kids are going to come to you, and they're going to say, okay, well, help me understand this. If God made everything, then who made God? And you're going to be like, I'll get back to you on that. (laughs) And it's okay as a parent to say, I don't know. But you say, you know what? I don't know. But if you give me a moment to pray about it, I'm going to come back with an answer. And then they have these things called books, and you can read them, and they make you smarter. And you can do that, too. And you can go get a book, and you can read it, and you can learn, and you can grow on your own. So that way, when your kids do ask, who made God, you can tell them. God exists outside of the universe and time. He is not like us. That's what the word holy means. It means other. So we can't think of God in biological terms in the same way we think of one another because he is omnipotent and all-powerful, immutable. That is who God is. And they're like, Daddy, you're so smart. You can do that. Or you can go look it up on the internet. There's websites that have all these information. And you can go online and you can Google and look up, oh, okay, here's this and that and this and that. And then you can go and you can deliver the information to your children. And your kids are going to think you're so great. That's where I get my sermons from. I mean, it's okay. So <laughs> lead your kids to the Bible. Lead your kids to the Bible. The next thing you can do is this you can lead them to prayer. Studies show that children whose parents pray for them every single day are 10% less likely to leave the church. 10% less likely. And all you got to do is just pray for them. Before they go to school, when they get home from school, when they got a bobo, just pray for them. Whatever me and Ashley do at night, we sit down and we, we hold hands with Esther and we pray over her and we, we pray every single night. 
And we hold her hand and we tuck her in and, and, and we pray over our daughter. We don't pray silly prayers where it's like, you know, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. No, because I want to model to my daughter what prayer looks like. So when I pray for her, I pray genuine, heartfelt prayers. I teach her that prayer is a conversation between me and God as a father because one day she's going to have to have her own conversations with God. And so I want to teach her what that looks like. So I pray real genuine prayers. And then when we say amen, I pray a prophetic prayer that I've prayed over my daughter ever since she, Ashley was pregnant with her. And I lay my hands on her head and I say, Lord, make her bold. Lord, make her a worshiper and let her be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then Esther says, Holy Spirit. And then we say, amen. I pray that prayer over her all of the time because I want to lead my daughter to prayer. My daughter loves praying. She prays all the time. When Ruthie's crying, she's like, hey, let's go pray for her. A kid at daycare skint his knee, she wanted to pray for him. Whenever she gets a tummy ache, she doesn't want me to rub her belly or kiss it. She wants me to pray for it. This girl's three years old, and she believes in healing more than some pastors I know. This girl, she prays. She loves it. She loves to pray. I want to lead my girls to prayer. And then the third thing is this. you got to lead them to the church. The best thing you can do for your children is to find a Jesus-loving, Bible-preaching, conservative, evangelical church with the Bible open so they can get involved and they can begin serving. Statistics overwhelmingly, hands down, the most important variable in a child's life is for the parents to be active and involved in a local church. Okay, Harvard Research put out some studies just a couple of years ago where they said that children who grow up going to church every single week, not occasional attendance, but every week, not once a presidential election or every Christmas or Easter, but weekly regular church attendance, 18% more, more happy, 30% more generous, and 33% less likely to commit a felony or to develop a drug addiction. Now, how many of you parents want your kids to be happy? Take them to church. How many of you want your kids to be generous? Take them to church. How many of you parents want your kids to have a very boring testimony? Do you want your kids to go to prison and shank a guy? No? Okay, well, if you do, then don't bring them to church. But if you want them to have a boring testimony, then bring them to church. That's, that's the best thing you can do in the life of your child is to have them in a local church. But parents, you have to understand this. That if church is optional for you, it will be unnecessary for them. That if you raise your kids thinking that church is not important or that it's something you go to when you feel like it or whenever you have time or when it's convenient for you, if you teach your kids that church is optional, when they grow up and they have to make that choice on their own, it is going to be unnecessary for them. I mean, I meet people all the time, and they're wondering, they say, well, I don't know, how do I, do I, should I get my kids to come to church? I'm not sure if my kids want to go to church, and I just can't get them to go to church. They're kids. They don't get a choice. Can I just say that? I mean, what other big life decisions do you allow your children to make? They're like, Mom, I've thought about it, and I think that I'm going to get a snake tattoo down my arm. You're like, well, you're seven. You'll figure it out. No, you don't do that. Why would you do that for their soul and their eternity? Let them make a decision. They're kids. You're like, well, my kid doesn't really like eating their broccoli, and they don't want to take a bath, and I can't get them to brush their teeth, and he's 13. He can make up his own mind whether or not he wants to wear deodorant. No, God gave you that kid for two reasons, to bring him to church and tell him he needs some deodorant. Get that kid in church and some Old Spice. 
They're kids. They don't get to make that choice for themselves. If they live in your house, they follow your rules, they go to your church. That's just the way it is. And if they want to fight you, that's fine. But you're going to stand before God, and you're going to be accountable for the roles and responsibilities that you've done. They're your kids. Listen, if Esther had her way, she would eat ice cream for breakfast, have popcorn for dessert, and she would light fireworks off in the living room. She doesn't get to make these decisions. You know why? Because she's a child. And God has trusted her with me. I am her parents. I am her pastor. My job is to lead her. People wonder, well, how come my kids don't want to go to church? Well, most of the time when their most formative young years of discipleship, instead of bringing them to church, you kept them out of church. Then you told them, oh, well, church is really important, but I'm going to watch football today, and then we have you know, ballet, and then we have taekwondo, and then we're going to go on vacation, and then we're going to go to the lake, and I've really been working all week, and I'm going to sleep in today, and we'll go next week, sweetie, I promise. And then you just delayed it and delayed it, and whether it's sports or activities or hobbies or extracurriculars, you cannot get mad when that thing that you were yelling at your kids for their entire childhood was keep your eyes on the ball when they grow up and take their eyes off of Christ. If it's optional for you, it will be unnecessary for them. You need to lead your kids. You lead them to prayer. You lead them to the word. And by God's grace, you lead them to the church. I get it. I know. I know how hard it is. I know that for you, for those of you who are parents, you probably wrestled with your kids for an hour just to get them through the door today. That it took you 45 minutes to put their shoes on, and by the time you turned around, they took them off again. I know. This is why our services are 90 minutes. We're trying to give you a break. <laughs> I get it. I get it. So here's, here's what you got to understand. You got to understand is, yeah, they're going to fight you. They're going to fuss. They're going to embarrass you. But you know what? My job as a pastor is when I stand before the Lord, I want him to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. You did it. What your job as a parent is for you to stand before the Lord and hear him say, well done, my good and faithful parent. You made it. You did it. Praise God for you. You're here. Praise the Lord for you. You won half of the battle. You did it. Praise God for all the parents in the room. Praise God for you. You made it. And I know that it's hard. Listen, this is my story. I grew up in the church. I grew up going to church like every single day. We have service on Sunday, and then we did this thing called night church. And it wasn't identical service for people who worked. We actually had a second entire church service on the same exact day. And then they would have prophetic meetings, and then we would have, you know, Wednesday night church and a fellowship meal, and Lord help us if revival ever broke out, because ain't nobody going home. That's what I grew up in. And the moment that I was 16, my heart was hardened towards the church and towards the Lord, and I didn't want anything to do with it. I turned my back on God. I completely walked away from everything else, and I said, this is my life. I'm going to do what I want, and I'm going to live my own life. And then for five years, I was running from God as far as I can. And then God, he reached down from heaven into my heart, and he saved me. He changed me. I gave my life to him. And then when I walked back into church, and I started in a community group, and I started serving, and I began growing my faith, you know what I thought? I thought my grandmother who dragged me to church, she was so mean and she was so nasty and she was a bigot and she didn't want anything to do with that stuff and I just didn't want anything to do it. But the moment that I got saved, 
those deep gospel seeds that she had planted inside of my heart, God the Holy Spirit dumped water on my soul and it burst forth into new life. Parents, you don't know what seeds God's planting in that child's heart. Get them in church. You don't know when that seed is going to burst into life. Lead your children. Lead them to prayer. Lead them to the word. Lead them to church. And I praise God for a grandmother who drug me to church even when I don't want to. I don't think I would be the man I am today if she didn't do that. I praise God for praying grandparents and parents who are willing to lead their children. I love you. Which leads us to the last thing. We need to learn from kids. We need to lead them. We need to love them. And we need to learn from them. Here's what it says. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter into it. And he took the children in his arms, he placed his hands on them, and he blessed them. It was the disciples who were too busy for Jesus. Jesus wasn't too busy for for the kids. It was the disciples who thought they were more important than the kids. Jesus, he didn't think that. Jesus, he brought the kids to him, picked them up, he hugged them, and then Jesus, he blessed them. You know, one of the best things in my life is this. When I come home after a long day, and my daughter Esther... I open the door and she, she says, daddy's home. <gasps> daddy, and she runs up to me and she says, daddy, 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 daddy. And she comes and she gives me a big hug. She hugs my leg and she squeezes it. And I pick her up and she says, daddy, I miss you. I said, I miss you too, baby girl. I said, daddy, I love you. I said, I love you too, baby girl. I'm glad you're home. I said, I'm glad I'm home too. And I get to spend time with my daughter and just pick her up and hold her. See, Jesus says, The kingdom of God belongs to such as these. And if anybody wants to experience the kingdom of God, they must come to him like a child. Like my daughter Esther running up and hugging my leg and saying, Daddy. You gotta understand, God is a father who loves us with the love and the affection that a father has towards children. See, the disciples, they didn't understand this. They thought they were important and big and special and that they were something really, no. Jesus says, you've been with me for three years and you still don't understand the gospel yet. See, this story isn't a cute story about Jesus just hanging out with kids. This story is more than that. This story is actually a profound story showing us what the gospel truly is. See, I think one of the reasons that so few people actually experience life change is because they're unwilling to come to God like a child. They have to have it all figured out. They want their resume. They want everything to be all together, and they want to have every answer, and they want to have all the things perfect in line. They think, I'm special. I'm important. I'm a really big deal to Jesus like a child. The children are to the gospel better than the disciples did. What do children have? Nothing. And that's what the gospel is, that apart from Jesus, you have nothing. You can't come to Jesus with anything that he desires because the only thing he desires is just to be with you. You don't earn the gospel. You don't deserve it. But he gives it to you freely. Children can't do any of those things. And you know what? The kingdom of God belongs to them. When you come to Jesus with your big, long list of demands and your schedule and your priorities, you're not going to enter into the kingdom of God. But if you come to him like a child, it's all available for you. 
I think one of the reasons why many people do not experience life change is because we're not able to understand it like a child. So this week, as I was praying through the text, and what I decided I wanted to do is I actually, I wanted to share with you a couple ways that my daughter Esther has taught me about life change this week. Here's what 10 ways Esther's taught me about life change. First way is this. She calls me dad. God is a father who loves us like a father loves children. You've been adopted into his family. God is your father. She trusts my word. When I say something, she holds me to it. The other day, I told her, we're going to go play in the rain when I get home from work, hoping she'd forget. <laughs> she did not forget. And I came home, and she says, Daddy, it's time to play in the rain. She trusts me at my word. This is God's word. This is your father's word to you. You can read it and trust it because it's good and it's true and it's his word to you. Esther, she depends on me. Like Esther doesn't have a job. She's not providing to the bottom line of the family. She's not paying the mortgage or the 401k or our pension plan. She doesn't have any of that stuff. You know what she has? She has her dad. God is our father. He provides for us. We need to depend on him in every situation in life. She asks for what she wants. She's not scared to ask for what she wants. She wants a pony. She wants popcorn. She wants to paint. She wants to draw. She wants to cuddle. She wants to go outside. She wants to shave the cat. I don't know. She asks for everything. She's not afraid to ask for what she wants. You know what we call that? As Christians, we call that prayer. Go to God and pray to him. Parents, don't you love it when your kids come and talk to you? God is a father, and he loves it when you come and talk to him. Also, she needs discipline. She's three, pretty much her entire life right now. She's like, no, 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 don't do that. No, don't shave the cat. No, don't do that. <laughs> That's all we do is just tell this girl no. But it's not because we, you know, I just no. It's because we know what's best for her. That we don't punish our daughters because we're trying to punish them. No, we do it because we're trying to protect them because they don't know what's best for them. There are times in the Christian life when God will discipline us because he loves us, not because he's punishing us, but because he's protecting us. He knows what's best for you. Esther, she loves her sister. Esther is not an only child anymore. She is a big sister. You are not an only Christian. You are not the only child in God's family. There's a whole church filled here with brothers and sisters. The same way that Esther is a big sister to Ruth, more of you mature believers, I need you to start seeing yourselves as the big brothers and the big sisters in our church. There's a lot of new believers. There's a lot of people who are being discipled. If you're a new believer, you're the little brothers and the little sisters in our church. We need to start seeing ourselves as a family of brothers and sisters who watch after and take care of and provide and protect and to play and to hang out and to teach one another. Esther loves teaching Ruth. For you big brothers and big sisters, we need you to start teaching the little brothers and little sisters in our church. She carries my last name, Ellis. As Christians, we carry the family name, the legacy, the lineage, the history of Christian. 2,000 years, 3.5 billion people, every tribe, tongue, nation, race, every ethnicity, loving Jesus and worshiping together. It's the family heritage. It's the history. She, loves, she knows that she is loved. One of the things that I love so much about Esther is that she knows that I enjoy her. I really enjoy my daughter. I think for many of us, we forget that God enjoys us. Do you know that God enjoys you? 
that God likes to spend time with you, that God is pleased and proud and he is rejoicing over you. I think sometimes we get this idea that God's this mean, judgmental, heavenly, deadbeat father who's up there just waiting to smite us anytime we mess up. No, he's a father who loves us and he enjoys you. God enjoys you. We also know that she knows or she thinks that I can kill monsters. The other night, she had a bad dream. It was a nightmare, and she runs into my room, and she says, Daddy, Daddy, there's a monster in my room. I need you to come kill the monster. Like, this girl wants me to go kill monsters because she knows that I can do it. You know what? Our God kills monsters. Like, our, our God, any fear, any shadow, any insecurity, any doubts, anything that we're struggling or going up against, any satanic or demonic opposition, any spiritual warfare battle that we are facing, our God kills monsters. Our God is strong. Our God is bold. Our God is powerful. Our God is greater. Our God is bigger than any opposition that we face. Our God is greater than any of those things. Our God kills monsters. And then lastly is Esther loves to have fun. The kids in the story, they love to have fun. And guess what? Jesus is fun. Like, they don't hang on the disciples. You know why? The disciples aren't fun. They don't run up to the Pharisees. You know why? The Pharisees aren't fun. Jesus, Jesus is fun. If you're not having fun following Jesus, you're not doing something right. I mean, Jesus, he is fun. Kids hang out with him. Kids hang all over him. It's a mess. It's chaotic. There's commotion. It's an interruption. But that's Jesus. Esther loves to have fun. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to close with a quick story just so you know I'm not a perfect parent. This week, we were praying over our daughter at nighttime. She's tucked in, and I'm praying, and I'm interceding, and I'm going into the third realm of heaven with my daughter, taking her to the throne room. And then all of a sudden, her finger goes in my mouth. <laughs> I said, oh, baby, what is that? Oh, what is that? And she put a booger in my mouth. <laughs> while I was praying. And she was laughing, and she was giggling. I said, Ashley, that's your daughter. <laughs> but you know what? That's exactly what I imagined the kids climbing up in Jesus's lap were doing. They were having a commotion. It was chaotic. It wasn't nice and neat and orderly. It was a mess, but you know what? It was fun. Kids can teach us how to have fun. If you want to experience life change through Jesus, you got to come to Jesus like a child. Redemption Church, we exist to see a gospel-centered movement in the heart of the city where every man, woman, and child experiences life change through Jesus. And if we want to be that type of church, then we got to experience life change like a child. We got to love them. We got to lead them. And we got to learn from them. Children can teach us so much. Well, thanks again for tuning in with us here at Redemption Church. If this message was helpful to you in any way, leave a review, like, comment, or share with your friends to help others experience life change through Jesus. Oh!